What, which, this, that, or the other? From Bonnaroo to Coachella, traversing the music festival landscape can be tricky. That's where we come in with high fives for everyone. The What Podcast with Brad, Barry, Lord Taco, dedicated to exploring the entire festival scene. Brad has worked in the radio industry for more than 20 years and currently lives in Brooklyn, where he is program director for three stations, including one in New York, one in Detroit, and one in Miami. Barry's been a reporter for the Chattanooga Times Free Press, covering all aspects of the entertainment industry since 1987. That's before you were born. Lord Taco, the smart guy who makes these podcasts on our website at thewhatpodcast.com work. Also really good at identifying babies, loves blue-haired moms, PBR, and his beautiful Volkswagen bus. We all fell in love with the Bonnaroo Festival years ago, not only because of the amazing bands that play there every year, but also because of the incredible community spirit that has developed around it. Radiate positivity. And we really like talking about the inside baseball stuff when it comes to putting on a huge music festival. So join us. You can hear the What Podcast on the Consequence Podcast Network or anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. Hey pod people, Engineer Adam here, jumping in for a quick second to let you know about the brand new all-in-one platform for all of you creative podcasters out there. Anchor makes it easier than ever to make a podcast. It's free to use and has all the creation tools you need to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Plus, Anchor will get your podcast set up on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are found. Even better, Anchor helps you connect with sponsors, even if you're just starting out. It's the perfect choice for podcasters, so make sure to check it out. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Back to the show. Do you read Stephen King? Good news. There's a club for you. The Losers Club. And guess what? You don't have to die at the hands of a shape-shifting clown to join. No, all you have to do is tune in every Friday as us losers journey through the never-ending wastelands of King's Dominion. Each week, we'll either spend hours reading between the pages of one of his books or chew on his latest tweets and Hollywood headlines. What's more, we're always having guests over. Thomas Jane, Mick Garris, Jerry O'Connell, Mary Lambert, Will Wheaton, and the list goes on. So what are you waiting for? Join us as we read on through long days and pleasant nights. Consequence Podcast Network. Hello to all of you beautiful pod people out there. I am your host, Leo Phillips, and this is another edition of This Must Be the Gig, your backstage pass to the world of live music. Every single week, I bring you a fascinating conversation from the beating heart of the live music and performance world. That could really mean a musician dishing on their little secrets of touring, a festival founder about the ins and outs of curating a lineup in 2019, a choreographer, a comedian, an actor, really anyone obsessed with performance in the way that we are. But before we dig into this week's really amazing interview. I know I say that every single week, but this one's a goodie. Let's check in with our constant companion here at the TMBTG studios. I can't believe I still call you that, Engineer Adam. Hello. Hey, I love the constant companion thing. I really enjoy it. I don't know why I still call you that. It's because you know I'm an immortal. You're not an immortal. Yeah, I am constant. I am um, unending. I am without cease. I feel cease. terrible to break the news. What? You are 
are not immortal. Wait a second. No. Are you sure? Yeah, absolutely. I feel embarrassed that we're having this conversation. What if that was the twist and all along this podcast was all just secretly about how I'm an immortal? So what's up? Let me tell you, I have had a pretty spectacular week. I've been giddy the entire time. Giddy, Do you know hey? why? Yeah, giddy. Is this now the installment, the first ever edition of hashtag giddy up? Yeah, hashtag giddy up with Engineer Adam. Oh, my skin's crawling that I even <laughs> said the word hashtag spin-off, out loud. Spin-off podcast coming your way starting in the fall. Giddy up with Giddied Engineer up. Adam. I mean, I feel like every week we we sound pretty excited about stuff. But I am extra excited. Do you want to know why? <laughs> okay. I'm excited. No, I'm excited. No, I'm more excited. Do you want to know why? <laughs> yes, I do. Please tell me. Since we last recorded, we had the announcement of... We're like a bad version of Laurel and Hardy. We're like Laurel and Laurel. We like <laughs> Laurel, <laughs> Yanny. No one says that stuff anymore. No, that's it's over. It's over. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but what are we? What are we going to talk about? What are things from the past? <laughs> <laughs> what are we going to talk about? Gangnam Style. <laughs> uh, yeah. Psytrance. Is that his name? Yeah, just Psy, I think. Oh. <laughs> We're going to talk about how I'm a rebel just for kicks <laughs> and how I'm immortal. <laughs> but anyway. Please carry on listening. I promise you this is it's a worth worthwhile it. it's worth episode. It. <laughs> just put yourself through the pain. Anyway, mm-hmm. second Animal Collective member to announce a solo record I in know. We 2019. Are blessed. We are blessed. The man, the myth, the legend, A.V. Tear announced his own solo record coming in March. It's called cows on hourglass pond and i could not be more excited i feel like you're a really big animal collective fan it's true I'm saying that i'm a humongous mirror. animal you collective do. fan and you so do. are you yeah i got to see animal collective play at logan square auditorium here in chicago right it must have been right after they released feels it was just it changed How my life you? i was probably 17 seven Seventeen, maybe. I mean, that that would make sense. Yeah, that would be two thousand four. So that makes life, sense, why right? Why was it life changing? Well, as as we might have talked about on the podcast before, I was raised on jazz mostly. That was like my first music. You're yeah. shaking your head. You weren't around <laughs> for the nineties. It's true. My father. I'm convinced that you were the boy. You were Brendan Fraser in what is that movie? I don't know. It with Christopher Walken, and he puts him in the bunker. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What is it called? My dad did kind of raise me to be a child of the 50s. I thought you were going to say a child of the bunker. Yeah, yes. <laughs> a bunker look, child. I'm, not, I'm a no, bunker baby. Yeah, I've no giddy up. I've got no <laughs> issue with that. I've no issue with that. I just feel like there is so there were so many important monumental moments of the 90s that have shaped the way that my brain fizzles and pops totally and completely and i do not begrudge any of it i've Thanks. come i've come back to Thank love you. a lot of 90s things since that i'm rediscovering now as an adult which is a little weird i'm having 90s nostalgia the way that like 17 year olds are having 90s nostalgia right now but i was actually theoretically alive during them but i don't remember theoretically, <laughs> theoretically. no you were i'm here to tell <laughs> you you were alive but this show i get back to jazz I did not listen to a lot of rock and indie and 
structured music in the Anything 90s in my childhood. Anything that a 90s child right? would be listening to. Because I was so like... So no um, Scatman. No, I don't know what Scatman is. No we doubt. had a big argument <laughs> about this. <laughs> but, Americans. But I just didn't think that rock music, for lack of a better word, pop music would have the intellectual challenge that I found in jazz, which is the most pretentious thing I've ever said in my life, but it's mm-hmm. true. I was just so obsessed with the idea that it could be anything. It could go anywhere. And I just thought, oh, it's got four chords and a chorus. It's boring. But I saw Animal Collective perform this show, and they were just in a constant state of flux and change and experimentation. And it was just amazing. And it really opened up my eyes that that sort of experimental innovative world was happening in this moment in our present and also was happening in so many different places it was amazing and then we also were together in spain Mm -hmm. at primavera sound festival a few years ago we got to see panda bear perform a solo concert which was again mind-blowing i remember those massive video projections it was in the same hall that they had kamasi washington when he brought in his father and the projections were working like this portal that sucked you into this swirling beauty of, I don't even know. I, I just felt like brain I goop. Brain goop. I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't actually see properly when I walked out because my eyes had adjusted so well to the visuals. I remember as we were leaving, a bunch of a bunch of weird, beings. like, goofballs from all over Europe singing boys latin to each other even though none of them knew the words i don't know the words that chorus is just so like chopped and screwed for lack of a better word but they were enjoying it and they were even singing it when we were in the crowd watching other bands perform yeah it was it was really wonderful obviously speaking of panda bear would he happen to be the other animal collective member releasing an album this year well gosh darn he is get out of the 50s i can't I am so excited that boys, or buoys, as I was raised to call it here in the Midwest of America, <laughs> boys, mm-hmm. will finally be in the world this Friday, February 8th. You'll all get to listen to it two days after this episode is released. I'm or, so excited. Also, you might be listening to this in the future, so it's already out. Go listen to it. I know. I am so excited for everyone else to get to hear this record. I've been living with it for a little while, and... It's kaleidoscopic Ooh. and it's majestic and I like that. gets into this deep swirling sonic spectrum and his sixth this is his sixth solo record and it uses a lot of his tried and true methods of chopped melodic phrasing and light samples, adapted uh, electronic grooves as well and surreal harmonies that I find. But it also adds in some extra doses of hip-hop and dead sub-bass, among other experimental touches. As a sort of primer, I suppose, for the record, I spoke with the man born Noah Lennox about the positive side of really being an introvert. We chat about the need to discover confidence in performing, but really not even needing it in the end. Just breaking out of your shell and doing things however the hell you want to. And how being an animal collective is a lot like being on a basketball team. And I thought I couldn't like Noah Lennox any more than I already did. And he commiserated with me about the terrible state of our uh, bulls. The Chicago Bulls, who I've convinced you to start following. I mean, they're they're great. No, they're not, but it's fun. Bobby Portis. 
there is a certain Bali. subset of people who are listening to this that are really excited about Animal Collective and really excited <laughs> that you mentioned Bobby Portis, and that might just be me. That reference you made might have just know, been have for me. Lost everybody. I is, can think of gone? maybe uh, maybe five other people that that might have hit for, but it's worth noting that that was an incredible reference. Congratulations. And if you're as excited about that reference as I am, or you're just really excited about how amazing this show is. Or you want us to shut up and get to the episode. One thing you can do before then, leave us a note on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at TMBTGPod. Better yet, anyone can leave their best concert experience as a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. Subscribe, rate, review. We will shout you out on the show this week's special shout-out goes to someone going by Philberman. <laughs> good job, Philberman. That's a good name. I like it's a it. great name. But let us not be delayed. This is me and Noah, a.k.a. Panda Bear. Enjoy! Because I think we, you and I were talking... Uh, for Grim Reaper, and then mm. so we would have done Animal Collective, would have done Painting With, and then I went straight from touring with that to doing the Sun Kongs touring, and then straight from that into working on the Dewey stuff, and now here we are. Wow, how do you how do you feel in the in the here we are? How are you feeling in the here right now? Uh, I feel good. Uh, I kind of feel like doing the Dewey stuff. Uh, it felt like sort of a, a departure or sort of like mm. kickstarted me in a, in a new direction. So I've kind of been really juiced off of that. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, kind of taking that energy and sort of that perspective into the next Animal Collective thing. It should, should be kind of revving up pretty soon. Do you have plans for that? Because obviously I know that a lot of what you do is not, you know, you're not premeditating your entire career. It's it's what whatever comes creatively. So do you have any plans for what's next? Yeah, I can't give like specifics about mm -hmm. the kind of like aesthetics that we're talking about, but um, I know all of us are thinking about it. We've definitely sent some texts back and forth and I feel like different pairs of us have talked about um, a variety of things that we're interested in doing um, and techniques and equipment, gear, uh, stuff like that. So I think we're all kind of separately thinking about it, but um, yeah, we haven't uh, all gotten together yet to fully start making it happen, but it should yeah. be soon. Yeah, well, it's really, uh, in fear of a better word, it's very exciting because obviously you've got your album out, uh, coming out and you've got so much happening on your side, but I can imagine as well that there weren't, when you were, when you were growing up in the scene, there weren't really many bands in your childhood, which you could really actively model your performance style from, you know, there weren't many people on late night shows in the nineties with samplers and like, animal masks and things like yeah. that so w when you were younger were there local bands or performers that really inspired you when you were first figuring out how to perform live and how you wanted that to translate to the crowds yeah for for sure i'd say stuff like sun city girls uh lightning bolt mm. black dice 
Um, these were kind of bands at the time that uh, felt like a kind of like a new energy or like a really different perspective um, from what was kind of more typical at the time. And uh, I mean, I, I don't think we wanted to just like imitate those things, but I think seeing that each, each of these groups sort of had their own, their own sort of perspective on things, I think we, we wanted to kind of bring our own sort of perspective to the table if we could. So I feel like uh, uh, th- those bands certainly inspired us in that way. Mm. And on, on a personal note, what, what were the sorts of things? Because I don't think we chatted about this the last time, but I'm always curious, what was the music then that you were surrounded by in your home and from your family? What Was there a standout performer, not necessarily a band was there somebody who performed in a certain way or had a vocal styling that you appreciated that really affected the way that you thought about music and, and really attacked that creative force? Uh, it's hard for me to say, like, or give specific examples. Yeah. I feel like there's, such, like, a, there's like a large pool mm. of stuff, you know what I mean? So it's a bit difficult to be like, this is the, th- this is the thing. But, uh, I mean, I'd wager that a lot of, my mom used to listen to a lot of ballet music, music for uh, ballet. Ballet was kind of her thing. Okay. Is her thing. And so I feel like, and, and from a really young age, I would hear a lot of that stuff. Um, Tchaikovsky, Nutcracker, Giselle, stuff like this. Uh, that was kind of the most prominent stuff played in my house. Um, and then driving with my father, he would always listen to just like top 40 radio. So I feel like, it just like like eighties hits, you know, like Genesis <laughs> yeah. and um, whatever was on the radio at the time. There's a very distinctive, like kind of cold, sad feeling to a lot of eighties productions that I think uh, has sort of resonated with me over time. Um, but that that stuff and the and the classical stuff, I feel like, sort of, perhaps subconsciously has a uh, been like a constant motivation for me yeah that's so interesting was your mom a ballet teacher or was it just that she was that she loved ballet and going to watch it and listen to the music she loved she loved ballet she loved watching ballet she also Ah. danced herself uh okay professionally uh she would dance in like amateur yeah uh, production oh that's interesting I also, I think, mm-hmm. I don't know where I read it, but were you in the choir then at school? Was that something that I've made up? Okay, you were. Because mm-hmm. I, you know, you never know what you're reading. I went to a school called, uh, or like a type of school called the Waldorf School. Uh, and there was a lot of uh, art, a lot of visual art, a lot of music uh, every day in school. Um, and I think when I was 14 or 15, uh, I just, I dug singing in, in w- with school so much that there was like an after school, uh, program, um, that I, uh, there was an after school program that, uh, I wanted to join. Usually they would tackle, a, a, a kind of more complex stuff. Mm. Um, and so I got really into that. And uh, there was only a handful of tenors in the school. Mm. Uh, so it was me and like three other dudes. Um, so we had kind of a tight-knit group. Yeah. What, what was it though? Because I feel like obviously from a, a person who I was in the like back 
row of a choir I was certainly not in the front mm-hmm. as the, as the main star um but what was it like obviously having that close knit group of friends but also expressing yourself in a way when you are really formulating who you are you're at school you have no idea what life really is all about you think you do but how was it then using that art form in that way how did that cuz i can't even imagine feeling you know, part of a unit like that, but then especially with, with, uh, you know, form of art. Right. Well, the thing that was most powerful about it to me, uh, was hearing the different sections of the choir all practice their parts, Mm. uh, and just sort of noticing how each part was different and like these little puzzle pieces. And then when we'd all sing together, you could still kind of hear echoes of the, the, the various sections practicing their parts, you could kind of trace their parts in your head while you were singing your, your sections part. And just sort of how the, like the puzzle pieces fit together was really exciting for me. Um, and beyond that, as you know, from singing in a choir, it's like, there isn't really, it's not about the individual so much. It's about the collection of voices. Um, so it was a cool way to kind of like express yourself in a group without like sticking out. Uh, and like working together, which is something uh, I dug and uh, continue to enjoy in in the band. Solo, yeah. obviously, you don't really have that sort of relationship, but uh, that's why I'm I'm grateful to be able to to make stuff with the other guys. Mm. Yeah, because when you were speaking, now I was thinking how that kind of relates exactly to how it is with Animal Collective as well, because you all have such different techniques and skills and I suppose even with your solo thing it never it feels like it's you but you're always collaborating as well especially visually Mm -hmm. so I I never feel like you're completely alone you know you're not uh yeah I just never feel like it's it's a singular thing it always feels much bigger than that I don't know if that's right to say or accurate to say yeah I'm I'm happy happy to hear that I mean I kind of feel like that's what's most exciting about it to me. Not mm. what's, what's exciting about collaborating is that uh, often it can kind of take you to places that you never would go on your own uh, for whatever reason. Um, yeah, that's what I, I kind of find really rewarding about working with other people is it sort of uh, forces you to kind of challenge your own perspectives on things, which, which I think is uh, really healthy. Yeah, and and obviously, if you have a healthy relationship to it, then I can imagine that's really, it's really helpful in terms of pushing you forward as an artist. But I can imagine people who find it, you know, there's a lot of pressure in collaboration. And if you're a perfectionist, it's difficult to get your ideas across. So I think you have found quite a sweet spot where you can do your own thing, and also still feel part of that collective you know there's that there's that option because it sounds really positive yeah I mean I think it requires a willingness to compromise on everybody's part to a certain extent yeah I mean I feel like we've kind of struck a perhaps a delicate balance in animal collective as far as all of us really I feel like especially at this point knowing what we like Mm. uh, but being able to compromise to the extent that the thing can continue if you know Mm. what I mean um and you know it's something you have to work at in any relationship I'd wager yeah uh you can't always get it exactly how you want but uh 
sometimes that can be for your benefit, I'd, I'd say. Yeah, just to stretch a little. But then was it always like that? Mm-hmm. How did you how did you really hone in on that ability to compromise in such a way where you feel like the relationship is valid and uh, valuable? Or Because uh, it's been so long as well. You know, it's not like you just started. Mm-hmm. Um, the, it's, it's been a unit yeah. for a long time. So how did you manage? To, that mm-hmm. might sound like a simple question, um, but I feel like a lot of people don't really know what a, a very positive relationship is sometimes in creativity because uh, status and mm-hmm. authority can kind of get in the way and you think, oh, well, I must just listen to this person because they may have a higher you know, status or authority than I do. Um, so I think it's interesting that you mm-hmm. – it sounds like you've had it f- since the start, but di- did it always – begin like that or did it just evolve over time i think it's kind of both i mean i mm. think the fact that we were uh friends before really making music together uh assisted us in that uh and the fact that we were all kind of fans of each other's music uh stuff that we would create individually and we would give tapes to each other and uh we we liked each other's stuff so i think that helped too kind of like wanting all of us wanting to preserve each other's identities musically, I think from the beginning, uh, I'd wager uh, helped us out. Um, but yeah, like, like I was saying, I feel like a large part of it is everybody being on the same page as far as like seeding control at certain moments. Like right. if somebody's not willing, willing to do that here and there, then, uh, the whole sort of framework falls apart. So, um, I, I don't remember having conversations about this, but uh, I, I do feel like the dynamic uh, has always is always in flux, but um, the sort of um, the foundation of it is always um, flexible. So I, I think that has helped us. Yeah, because you look at like those legacy bands and they're like, are together for 10 years and then you know the you spoke about 80s bands earlier that's a great example of those type of of units you know they together for 10 years and then they break up and then they come out with some sort of reunion tour and then they break up and then 40 50 years down the line they get in you know they starting solo stuff only then so it's interesting how if the core and foundation is really something that everybody agrees on uh it it sounds like the perfect mix yeah i mean i kind of think of it as like a basketball team uh and that the teams the basketball teams that i've noticed seem to do the best are teams where everybody uh is both happy with and embraces their specific role in the team right um and i I feel like it's the same in a band in that as long as everybody is like, if, if you're the guy playing the triangle and you're happy to play the triangle and you're going to do it the best that you can, that's the best thing for the band, you know? Uh, And then if suddenly you're the triangle person and you want to be the singer or something like that, then that's when the things get challenged. And if everybody's, down to like work through that uh shift then it's okay but um yeah there's a certain i feel like a 
kind of harmonious balance that has to be achieved. Um, and it, it's difficult because people are constantly changing and growing in various ways. So it, it, it's like a garden that I feel like you have to tend. But uh, I think if you're wary and uh, generous, uh, it's not too much of a problem. Yeah. I think I, I like that, that metaphor. Do you watch basketball? Are you a fan? Because that, that was a good one. Because it's true. Yeah. Each person has their yeah. own has their own place like you know you know your place in that um you know your role but yeah so who are you a fan of i've only recently started uh figuring out the game since moving to chicago so it's, it's pretty pretty rough days for you both man but uh <laughs> i mean i, I don't am, feel uh, it on I a played, personal level <laughs> but yeah it's terrible i played all through high school oh, and then okay. after high school would only play like pick up every once in a while right um, and more recently, whenever I play, I've been kind of forced to realize how much of my game was predicated on my like, quickness and sort of physical attributes, which I've completely lost. So uh, I'm pretty uh, useless as a as a player now. But That's terrible uh, I'm say. a fan of the, the the DC team, the Wizards, who are uh, really lousy these days. But, okay. Uh, they're the closest to a home team that we had in Baltimore. So yes. yeah, those are my guys. Yeah. It's such a, um, somebody described it as um, jazz, the game of basketball and how fluid mm-hmm. it is and how you can see all the players' faces. And I just love mm-hmm. that because it's such a beautiful game when you don't know a lot about the game and or sports. It's so accessible mm-hmm. Um, and there's obviously a lot of politics, but it's not hard or pretentious to get into. Um, so I just, yeah, yeah. It's, such a, it's, a, it's so great. But I, I think you should have more sure. confidence in your abilities. You know, who knows? You could be, um, you could be a, a star. But, <laughs> a but see, this is sort of what we're talking about, right? Like yeah. if I, if I go place. in there thinking that I'm a star, <laughs> I'm going to be a real detriment to my team. <laughs> Whereas yeah. if I'm like, I know I'm not that quick anymore and my my handle really isn't that good anymore, yeah. I'm just going to kind of play it safe and like take the open shots that I get, then that's the best for my team. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? No, I know. I'm just going to stick with like playing the triangle. I get I get it. I get it. Um, but, but so... Yeah, I'm, I'm more of a triangle player these days. I'm the best for that work. <laughs> yeah, sure. But so obviously you you've been creating your own music for a long time but both you know it's on your own and also with Deacon during high school and probably even before I'm not sure when you actually started but do you remember your first performance that you had the one like did you do you remember exactly where it was and and how it actually came about yeah it was uh it was at josh dave and brian's school high school in baltimore okay Uh, and they i'm not sure if it was them or it was them working with somebody else at the school put on this uh this show called gold i believe it was called gold sounds they might correct me but i think that's what they called it um and i played i played drums with josh and we played a bunch of songs some of which i had written some of which he had written I think Josh played guitar and sang, um, and our friend Danny Meltzer played mm-hmm. with us, and Dave played on one or two of the songs of our set. 
but that was, yeah, that was the first time I ever performed um, our own music. Uh, obviously a very low-key person, but did you have any sort of nerves at all going into it or any like prep did you or did you were you just like this is cool I'm gonna play some music with my friends uh no I was super nervous I mean oh, I would okay. always get crazy nervous for uh for basketball games too and it's I have a weird thing where when I get nervous I get really tired like I start yawning almost like I'm gonna go to sleep yes um and that That's I still I I'd wager that I still get exactly the same amount of nerves for playing these days after however many years doing it um, as I did for that first one. It's really? pretty much the same experience. Wow. Mm -hmm. What is the... Um, yeah. I'm interested because obviously I've seen you perform uh, more in the recent years than obviously growing up where I did. I wasn't able to see you perform uh, in the early days, but that that's... that's. I mean, I suppose you do... You're very focused... What are the nerves just because there are so many moving parts that could potentially go terribly wrong, or is it just because performing isn't something that is at the forefront? It's more about just sharing the music. I think it's similar, more similar to the latter thing. Mm. I I kind of just feel like I'm not really a, like a natural performer. Okay. Uh, or it's not something that comes like really naturally to me. Right. Um, I'm more. I think I'm more on the introverted side of things than the extroverted side of things. Mm. Mm. Um, at the same time, like once I get once I get started, I don't I don't like feel anything after that. I just kind of like I'm in, I'm in the zone after that. But uh, the the getting up on the stage is usually the hardest part. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I mean, thank you for sharing. I think a lot of people have this idea that if you are putting out art and you are putting yourself out there and making music and being creative, they always kind of assume that you are a certain way, that you're open, you know, that you're extroverted, you're, you're open to it. So it's interesting to hear that, that you feel that way. And how how do you change that though? I mean, I think it helps to it helps to be super confident and super uh, extroverted. I think it makes the whole the whole deal quite a bit easier. But uh, it's not the only way to do it. No, of course. But I don't know if it does because there is obviously some you know humility in in actually just being exactly who you are as opposed to pushing it, um, which obviously artists are forced to do now because touring is so uh, one of the best ways to make a living. So that that's mm -hmm. that's it's interesting. And then how are you then in the studio? Do you feel the same type of nerves in that sense or do you feel much more comfy? I get nervous uh going into the studio with the bands just cuz uh, I kind of feel like I want to make sure that everybody else is really excited when I'm doing right. it by myself. Is, yes. I, I I don't really get nervous at all. I kind of mm. I usually know pretty much what I want to do, and mm. um, by that time, I kind of have a pretty good idea of how it's going to go. Um, yeah, but I, I I feel like I do uh, the other nine tenths of the job just so I can do the studio part, like the, the studio part and making the music, writing the stuff, and hearing it back for the first couple times. That's uh, that's the part of it that I that really kind of gets me going you know so I, I feel like I do the touring and um with all due respect the interviews and stuff like that I feel like I do that <laughs> stuff so that I can continue yeah. to do the 
the, the writing and the producing. That's yeah. The stuff, that's the really juicy stuff. Yeah. So you're telling me to bugger off, basically. Get out of here, Leo. Just get out of here. No, I don't want to be no. doing this stuff. No, no but I not, know. Not I know. I'm, I know. I'm so, I'm so grateful that <laughs> people still want to talk to me after 20 years in the game. So, yeah, yeah, but it does so get it does get a very lot. Very happy to have you here. Yeah, no, but it, I, was, I was just being sarcastic. But it does, it does and self-deprecating. But it does get a lot, and I always feel kind of... Sometimes I don't want to even analyze somebody's work with them because I know what type of music it is and I want to keep it uh, as as it is and sometimes I don't want to pick it apart but that is the job and there are fun ways to do it. But yeah, no, I, I hear Yeah, I know saying. some folks who, who like really enjoy making the thing and then sharing it with all their friends. Yeah. But I've never, I can't say I've ever been one of those people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, usually... Like there's two two things that happen if I play something in front of somebody and neither of them are good. Yeah. <laughs> Either the person is gonna say that they don't like it, yes. and I'll be bummed out, mm-hmm. or they say that they will like it and I won't believe them. So yes. it's kind of a no situation <laughs> for me. Very hard to please, but it's good you have high standards and you've got a certain way of working. I appreciate it. It's it's um it's what it's what's gotten you where you are now. But to go back to obviously firsts and things like that, do you remember then, I know you mentioned a, a few people who were, you know, a few artists that you listened to when you were younger, but do you remember then your first concert that you ever saw and and where it was? It was probably either G-Love and Special Sauce at the okay. Trocadero in Philadelphia. Oh, wow. Okay. Or it, or it was Modest Mouth and ah. Beck at... I want to say the old was there an old 930 club because it didn't in my memory it's not what the the present 930 club looks like okay um but it was it was one one of those two wow do you do you do you know how old you were what what was what was the like timeline for this uh it was pretty late for me I was probably 15 or 16 okay was there a reason why you mm-hmm. hadn't gone to a show before or were you just interested in other things? Uh, I was a pretty sheltered young dude. I just didn't mm. go out very much. Okay. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, like both of those, both of those shows I, I went to, I mean, I was definitely a fan of, uh, Beck, but, uh, I, uh, I went to both of those shows because like friends of mine were going. Yes. Know? Yeah. It wasn't like that. You, came out of the room wanting to go to watch live music yeah did that make sense yeah crowds of people kind of kind of bug me out yeah to be honest i know i hear you um but and then obviously your first tour was with black dice is that right which obviously mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. that must have been such an incredible experience uh the whole lot of you are so yeah, creative and eager to experiment. So what was that tour like? I know that this is going back, you know, in, in your memory banks, but obviously it's, it's, it's such an important time when you first start out. So were they, were, mm-hmm. how was that? It was pretty wild traveling around the country to all these cities that I'd never been to before. And you're kind of getting super pumped up in the van because you know you're going to drive to the show and just immediately take your gear out and set up and start playing. Um, and th- this was before kind of cell phones and GPS, so it was a lot more kind of haphazard back then. Um, and a little bit, it kind of, you felt more sort of lost at sea in a way, <laughs> a lot more than it does yeah. these days. 
um, in, in kind of a cool way too, but mm. also the shows were like, I mean, it was more typical for the shows to be like five or six people, um, than 20 or 30 people. Um, and sometimes just one, one or two, and they would often leave. Like, I think, I think we started alternating who would play first and who would play last because everybody would leave. So we wanted like oh. everybody to have a chance to actually perform for an audience. Yeah, that, that's. I'm sorry, I'm giggling. Maybe I'm nervous. That's um, that's. It's interesting that that's how it was. Do you think it's just just pe people who hadn't heard your your music and weren't weren't really interested in what you were doing? Uh, I mean, I think it was really rare that that anybody had heard Animal Collective music. I mean, we. I think we were just billed as. Uh, I think we were billed as Avatar and Panda Bear. I could be wrong. But uh, for sure, like very few people uh, had heard of us at any of the shows. I think a fair amount of people who came to the shows knew of Black Dice because they had already done several yes. tours of the U.S. at that point. But uh, yeah, I think maybe like one person at one of the shows had probably heard uh, anything that we had done. Yeah, point. I feel like that's obviously something I know that we spoke about last time, which I, I, I just find it so fascinating because it isn't the usual formula that bands they sometimes do what you what you've always done where I remember people talking so much about Animal Collective only playing upcoming material so songs that people weren't familiar with yet mm -hmm. they hadn't heard and that it really I know that you still do it and it's really I, I can't even describe the feeling because so many fans I feel like they aren't you know everything is just handed to us now in you know if you haven't watched mm -hmm. the latest Netflix show in the last 48 hours and you're out of the loop and so going to a show mm -hmm. and not even knowing any of the lyrics any of the you know uh, the beats and anything the spacing and not knowing when to when to move and just feeling it um is such a rare experience so was that something that you thought of continuing to do or was it just how you put music out uh i mean i do agree with you as far as it kind of seems like music culture today is like what most people are into is kind of like a disposable kind of music mm, and i don't absolutely. i don't say that as a pejorative like i don't yes i don't mean that in a negative way yeah i think there's just as much value to that type of thing than something that you listen to a thousand times and notice something new about it every time. But I, I don't know that, uh, I don't feel like what, what I'm good at nor what I'm interested in doing is like fits into that kind of, uh, perspective, I guess. So, yeah, I, I kind of, I guess in some ways I feel like I'm shooting myself in the foot a little bit, but, uh, I mean, you gotta, I gotta be me, I guess. Yeah, no, but it's it's such a as you said, like the, and I totally hear you on. I know that you're not making a throwaway comment about a throwaway society. It certainly is very true, and I feel like even people who consume it feel that way. Um, it's my job, and I even feel that way sometimes. Getting to a show and knowing absolutely everything about the set list, um, kind of makes it feel like I could just probably sit on my couch and watch it on YouTube or you know listen to it back on Twitter which is terrible but it, it does happen so the fact that you go into it mm -hmm. with knowing that your crowd uh, are going to be reacting for the first time is really interesting but do you ever worry though that people share things 
Um, before, how precious are you within new material going out without being released, uh, officially being released? Uh, I, I, I guess I'm aware of the fact that if I play something unreleased, uh, that somebody might record it and that recording will get passed around to a handful of people and they'll inevitably kind of, um, as everybody does, they'll sort of attach themselves to that version of the song and mm. anything, any, any other sort of evolution of the song post that recording will be somehow lesser. Uh, I think that's just how people's brain, brains work. Uh, I'm the same way. I'm guilty of this sort of phenomenon as much as anybody else's, but uh, that's, uh, that's okay to me. Right? That's, I mean, as long as somebody has uh, one version of the song or one experience with the song that feels special to them on any level, uh, that feels like kind of a win, a win as far as I'm concerned. But do, do songs then lose a little bit of magic to you personally after you've played them hundreds of times? Because, you know, you fo- you do focus on uh, performing songs that are super fresh. So how do you, what is your relationship then essentially to the, your catalog and the songs that you've made in the past? Yeah, I think it kind of goes in a circle. So at the right. beginning it feels really fresh. And then if you play it, 300 times yeah. uh, you kind of get to you're sort of midway around the circle and it really not like is dead but it there's you kind of feel like you've gone so many ways with it there's there's sort of nowhere left to go with it and then I feel like I mean a good example is the song song stuff um, and this this past summer that we toured those songs we had never really done the songs in that way uh, which was a reflection of kind of the studio versions of the songs because the, the way we would play them before we recorded the record, they were quite a bit more uh, abrasive and sort of um, aggressive in, in, in several ways. So performing the songs again, even though it was 15 years later, they did kind of feel fresh to me in a way, or I, I did kind of feel like there were things about the songs that uh, I felt like we could explore in ways that we maybe hadn't so much before. Um, and so it, it kind of felt like it went all the way around the circle and the, the things were, the songs were kind of fresh again in a way. So I think, I think that can happen as long as you're willing to kind of uh, let them sort of rest for a while. And you also evolve as an artist and as a musician. So even playing older material, you're still playing it with a newfound st- skill as well. You know, things things evolve and things change and shift so i can imagine even just mm-hmm. the art of playing it you you're gonna you're gonna mix things up a little just because of sheer experience and time that's passed um but that's good uh, to hear that and, it was a good like, experience yeah i mean i, I kind of feel like there was sort of a combative uh energy to the way, the way we would perform them perform yeah. those songs at first yeah um, and the this past summer's versions of the songs I feel like were way more uh, sort of inviting or kind of um, perhaps more welcoming. The, the, the songs felt to me like inviting people into the room this time, whereas before it was like get out. <laughs> you know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's very very sort of op- opposite energies. Yeah. Like. 
Yeah, I love that. And and going forward, obviously, I got to see your live show for your last album, and the visuals from Danny were just uh, mm-hmm. mind blowing, and I felt uh, very very kind of blessed to have that experience so will he be working with you on your upcoming tour because obviously you've worked with with him for so yeah. long yeah i i kind of feel like it it takes him uh, as you might expect because he he gets the songs uh kind of right before we'll start the tour so i feel like it takes him a little bit longer to kind of develop his new language with the thing um but uh i feel like He's definitely got a lot of new stuff he told me, so I'm psyched at stuff that I haven't even really seen. I kind of know the the aesthetic, kind of where he's going with it. Um, But yeah, so I'm I'm sort of uh, as excited to see the new stuff as as anybody else. Yeah, I love that as well, because then at least you go in, uh, uh, you don't have any sort of preconceived notion of what it's going to be like, so it keeps things interesting considering that, you know, touring is, is taking you away from your family and away from your home. Have you, have you been able to immerse yourself much in the local scene in, in Portugal and the, the music scene there? How, how involved are you there? Um, I'd say I'm kind of a fringe, uh, okay. fringe involvement in what's going on here. There's a, a bunch of, a bunch of people kind of early 20s age that are super active and uh really exciting and inspiring to me um and i'm friends with a bunch of them but uh we don't besides working in a similar i think we all work in the same building we record in the same building um and we'll we'll come to each other's shows every once once and again but uh uh, i haven't uh done any collaborations or uh um, I haven't like done any production work for anybody around here yeah. quite yet, but uh, perhaps perhaps that's something for the future. Yeah, it's exciting. When do you start going out on tour? When does it all kick off? Uh, I leave on Sunday. This coming Sunday. Oh my gosh! So soon. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. Do yeah. you, is there is there a place on the list of of tour dates that you haven't been before? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, when I do solo touring, it's Unfortunately, usually just uh, kind of major cities, um, just because I don't want to be gone for that long. So I kind of slim pickings for the most part. But, um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I think it's all places that I've been before for this tour, but maybe uh, sometime down the road I'll do a bit more like uh, I'll, I'll hit different spots. Is there a place, though, that you really would love to either make music? in the studio and or play or do you feel very comfortable within your in your environment i do feel really comfortable in my environment but i've wanted to i've wanted for a while to make a record in jamaica oh okay uh just because i feel like uh a lot of production from that country uh, I feel like has been sort of a constant uh, inspiration for me. Yeah, I I um I spoke to. Do you know the um, reggae artist Protege? He's quite a big. Mm, I don't like. He's he's more commercial. Although he's, the name sounds really familiar to me. Yeah, he's like a very commercial reggae star. He's um, been nominated for a Grammy on Sunday, and he's uh, but he's already like on his fourth album, and he's the most low key dude and. The way that he describes mm-hmm. the production and the people and how 
you know, they are just so willing to share ideas, not not necessarily even collaborate, just mm-hmm. share. It's such an open economy for, for uh, you know, open cultural economy there that sounds amazing. So I love... I love uh, yeah, that you really awesome. want to go. You should you should make that happen. I know it's it's easier said than done, but that sounds like the most perfect opportunity as well. Well, wonderful. Yeah, I'd have to yeah. probably do it in the summer, and I'd have to drag my my kids along. And they'd be psyched <laughs> for like the first week, but after Cut. that, they'd be like, oh, "I want to hang out with my friends." What do your kids listen to? How old are your kids now? Uh, I got a thirteen and an eight. Oh my gosh! Wow. They listen to. So my son listens to that song Sunflower by uh, Post Malone and Sway Lee oh, like yeah. 10 times a day. <laughs> uh, oh and it's God. only like two two minutes long. I, I love the song too, yeah. probably as much as he does. I just don't want to listen to it over and over again. But <laughs> no. uh, yeah, that's that's like his favorite, his favorite thing right now. Is that um, from the, Sp- then, isn't it from the Spider-Man what? Into the Spider-Verse movie? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's where he heard it because we we went and saw that movie together. Oh, it's he was amazing. pumped on the song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. And Swaley's like my favorite. He's probably my favorite uh, singer uh, going right now. So. Wow. Uh, yeah. That's yeah. We sh- we sh- we share that. Uh, yeah. We share that love. love. <laughs> so you sure it's him listening to the song ten times a day, or you? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not big on listening to things over and over again. Yeah, Mo- movies I'll watch over and over again. Movies that I really like, I can just watch for the endlessly. But yeah, songs for whatever reason, I can. I only can kind of take it here and there. This Must Be The Gig is produced by Adam Kibble and we'd like to thank Billy Yost and The Kickback for our theme song, Rube, and buy their music at thekickbackband.com, Lexi Frame for the artwork, Daniel Brater and Dean Berger for the additional sound design, and The Consequence Podcast Network where you'll find a bunch of other amazing shows. listened this far why not go the extra mile and leave us a review on apple podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts your comments provide valuable feedback for us and it helps other people find us too for information on new episodes be sure to follow us on facebook twitter or instagram at tmbtgpod and generally just irritate everyone you know about the show thanks again and i miss you already Consequence Podcast Network.